so great to be with you. Uh, if you don't know um, Daz, he is probably the most manly of men in the world. Uh, he's a man of men, I always say to him. And um, But he's my husband, he's been here before. And, uh, and it's my great pleasure to be here with you. He's got to go to Port Macquarie this afternoon, so he wasn't able to come as well. But um, I'm really grateful to be here with you. Pastor Jack and Carol are our pastors. So I guess in some way we're part of this church family as well. We're probably like the odd relative. Yes. Daz and I are your weird uncle. <laughs> That's who we are. Um, but yeah, we love Pastor Jack and Pastor Carol and we love that their daughter lives in Tamworth now because we get to see more of them. And um, we love the whole team here. Um, so great to hear from you, Pastor Rob, around communion. And uh, that, was, that was just beautiful and deep. And so, um, oh, we've got a photo of my family in case you haven't seen it before. The most recent photo of my family that I could find was Mother's Day three years ago. Uh, and so this is us. So they're all three years older. Actually, Isabella has left home and is living down here now. She goes to UTS. And if you're wondering, did we celebrate Mother's Day at Dan Murphy's? No, we didn't. That's just the restaurant that was there. Um, but yeah, three beautiful children. Very grateful for them. Uh, okay, well, let's get into the Word of God. Um, I'm going to be reading from the book of John today. And uh, I've been told that I preach like a jacked-up, over-caffeinated auctioneer. And so I'm sorry for that. Um, I'm going to try to slow down. I, every week I try to slow down, and every week I just get too excited and keep going. But I will try. So let's look at it. We're going to be le learning from John the Baptist this morning. And now that's not his denomination. That's not who he was credentialed through. That's what he did. He used to baptize people. So we're going to go straight to John chapter 1, verse 6. And it says this, God sent a man... John the Baptist, to tell about the light so that everyone might believe because of his testimony. John himself was not the light. He was simply a witness to tell about the light. The one who is the true light, who gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. We'll go down to verse 19. This was John's testimony when the Jewish leaders sent priests and temple assistants from Jerusalem to ask John, who are you? He came right out and said, I am not the Messiah. Well, then they asked, who are you? Are you Elijah? No, he replied. Are you the prophet we are expecting? No. Then who are you? We need an answer for those who sent us. What do you have to say about yourself? John replied in the words of the prophet Isaiah, I'm a voice shouting in the wilderness, clear the way for the Lord's coming. Then the Pharisees who had been sent asked him, if you aren't the Messiah or Elijah or the prophet, what right do you have to baptize? John told them, I baptise with water, but right here in the crowd is someone you do not recognise. Though his ministry follows mine, I'm not even worthy to be his slave and untie the straps of his sandal. This encounter took place in Bethany, an area east of the Jordan River where John was baptising. The next day, John saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. He is the one I was talking about when I said, a man is coming after me who is far greater than I am, for he existed long before me. I did not recognise him as the Messiah, but I have been baptising with water so that he might be revealed to Israel. Then John testified, I saw the Holy Spirit descending like a dove from heaven and resting upon him. I didn't know he was the one, but when God sent me to baptise with water, he told me, the one on whom you see the Spirit descend and rest is the one who will baptise with the Holy Spirit. I saw this happen to Jesus, so I testify that he is the chosen one of God. Verse 35, the following day, John was again standing with two of his disciples. As Jesus walked by, John looked at him and declared, look, there is the Lamb of God. When John's two disciples heard this, 
they followed Jesus. John chapter 3 verse 22, then Jesus and his disciples left Jerusalem and went into the Judean countryside. Jesus spent some time with them there baptizing people. At this time, John the Baptist was baptizing at Aenon near Salem because there was plenty of water there and people kept coming to him for baptism. This was before John was thrown into prison. A debate broke out between John's disciples and a certain Jew over ceremonial cleansing. So John's disciples came to him and said, Rabbi, the man you met on the other side of the Jordan River, the one you identified as the Messiah, is always baptizing people, is also even baptizing people, and everybody is going to him instead of coming to us. John replied, no one can receive anything unless God gives it from heaven. You yourselves know how plainly I told you, I am not the Messiah. I'm only here to prepare the way for him. It is the bridegroom who marries the bride and the bridegroom's friend is simply glad to stand with him and hear his vows. Therefore, I am filled with joy at his success. He must become greater and greater and I must become less and less. He has come from above and is greater than anyone else. We are of the earth and we speak of earthly things, but he has come from heaven and is greater than anyone else. He testifies about what he has seen and heard But how few believe what he tells them. Anyone who accepts his testimony can affirm that God is true, for he is sent by God. We'll stop it there because I'll just keep reading the Bible forever and ever. Okay, Lord, I just pray that what you've said in this word, Lord, in your word, that you would illuminate it to us, Lord, that you would help us to live our lives for you, Lord God, that you would teach us from it and we'd be taught by you this morning. We pray this in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Amen. I love your vision for this year, Fearless. I'm one of those people that, you know, you watch a movie and and I just, I'm ready to just run out and conquer something. If it's inspiring, I'm there. And when Pastor Jack sent us his notes at the start of the year about Fearless, I sent back to him, Pastor Jack, this just makes me want to punch the devil in the face. I was just ready, like, let's go. Let's take that hill. Let's do whatever we need to do. But I hope that the message today helps you to actually get super natural about the way that you live your life. You see, when the Holy Spirit came on the early church, these previously frightened chicken kids now proclaimed the Word of God boldly. They went about and just did what they had to do. And so I hope that today, yes, there's always going to be a heart-in-chest moment, a heart-in-throat moment. There's always going to be a time to cross the chicken line. There's always going to be a time where we feel scared and we go anyway. But I hope that the message today equips you to just be comfortable in who God has created you to be as part of that fearlessness. So, who you are and who you aren't, lessons from John the Baptist. Who you are and who you aren't. The first thing is, who aren't you? Turn to the person next to you and say, who even aren't you? (laughs) Turn to the person on the other side and say, who the heck do you think you aren't? John the Baptist's narrative starts the whole time with who he isn't. He is not the light of the world. He is not the coming Messiah. He is not the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Both the narrative about him and the narrative from him is who he isn't. John is super comfortable with who he isn't. He's not Jesus. Neither are you, by the way. Just heads up. Now, you might say, I know I'm not Jesus. But have you ever had a Messiah complex? Have you ever had a saviour syndrome where you just felt the need to just rush in and you needed to to rescue stuff and maybe it played out where you had to be a little bit controlling because you needed to control the environment to work out the way that you thought it needed to work out. I wonder if that's you this morning where sometimes you just get that little bit controlling because you feel ultra responsible and like things depend on you. Any firstborns in the room? Yeah. Yeah. 
I'm done, baby of the family. We can't <laughs> I was going to say, we can't stand your firstborns, and then I looked up and saw someone's hand up, so we <laughs> <Okay>, go there. <laughs> Ultra responsible. My firstborn, my daughter that was up, just she's so responsible. She feels responsible for everything and everyone. And sometimes we have this idea that it's up to us. And the first person that we need to realize that we're not is we're not Jesus. He's on the throne. He's building his church. He's looking after your life. He's got your kids. He's looking after your family. He's in charge of your job. He's got everything in his hand because he's promised that he's the author and the finisher of your faith and what he's started, he will complete. He's promised that not a single one of you will be taken out of his hand. That is his promise. And so he is Jesus. Now, John the Baptist, he knew he wasn't Jesus. You might say, of course he didn't. Like Jesus is walking the earth right there with him. But we have to remember something about John the Baptist. And you see, Andy Stanley talks about something called the comparison trap. He's my favourite to talk about comparison ever. And he, he makes mention that we don't tend to compare ourselves with people who are completely unlike us. Consider for a moment Pastor B. I don't compare myself to Pastor B. Pastor B is blonde and petite. I haven't been petite since conception. <laughs> she, Pastor B is a city dweller. Pastor B didn't hold a lamb while her dad castrated it. <laughs> that was on me. <laughs> so I don't compare myself to Pastor B. Because Pastor B and I, mainly the main reason is our worlds don't cross over too often. We see each other probably twice a year. We love each other when we see each other. We catch up. We're, it's like old times and, and there's never you know, a gap. But I don't compare myself to her. And you don't compare yourself to people whose worlds you're not in. You compare yourself to people who are very like you and maybe a little bit better than you. If you're a teenager in the room today, you don't compare yourself to someone in their late 20s. They are old. <laughs> you compare yourself to someone who is a teenager and maybe slightly better at sport than you, maybe slightly better socially than you, maybe slightly better at school than you. That's who you are tempted to compare yourself to. If you're in your early 30s, you're not comparing yourself to someone in their 50s. They've got one foot in the grave. <laughs> Works better at home because Dad's just turned 50. But, um, <laughs> but you're, you're, con you're comparing yourself to other people in their 30s with a bigger house, a better job, and a more together family. That's who you're comparing yourself to. And so you, you might say, well, I, won't, I don't compare myself to Jesus, Bron. But let's think about John the Baptist for a second. John the Baptist has this super cool birth story. His father's worshipping in the temple. And the angel Gabriel comes to him and says, you're going to have a son, Zechariah. And he is going to be someone who um, brings people back to the God of Israel. He's going to teach people to turn from their ways and turn back to God. He's going to have the spirit of the prophet Elijah. And Zechariah, after a little while, is super excited about that. Cool birth story. Except that... His auntie, John's auntie Mary, also has an angel come to her. And the angel says to her, Mary, you're going to have a son. And Mary says, impossible. Uh, something is required in order for me to have a child and that hasn't happened yet. And the angel says, no, no, it's going to be miraculous. And this is going to be the son of God. So we've got two amazing, miraculous angel visitations, but then one that's slightly better than the other. And it's his cousin. <laughs> And then as they go through life, you know, John is set apart for God and he knows his future and God's speaking to him and we see here that he hears it from God and he understands. But then you've got his cousin Jesus who is in the temple at 12 years old and astounding the leaders with his questions. 
Anyone been to the Nan and Pops and the Nan and Pop just keep bragging about the cousin on the other side? Totally would have been John the Baptist and Jesus. You're like, I came second in Naplan. <laughs> Whatever it might be. But, but John, you know what? Never affected John. John is down at the river and droves are coming to him to be baptised. And two of his own disciples go and follow Jesus. But it doesn't bother John, no, not ever. Why? Because he knows who he isn't. Now, you aren't Jesus, but nor are you your cousin. And nor are you that person that came to mind when I started talking about who you're tempted to compare yourself to. You're not them. And that is the best conclusion that you can come to. That's not you. When I was a young mum, we used to come to church and our church was tiny. And, and so Daz and I had to do a lot of the stuff. And our kids were, I don't know how to explain it. Maybe they were feral. <laughs> and, and they were wild. And, and, and all the other mums would come in and their, their kids would be immaculately dressed in organic bamboo cotton and, and, and their hair would be immaculately parted and tied up and their snacks would be immaculately packed into com- compartmentalised. My kids are like no shoes on ferreting through the church cupboards trying to find the church biscuits for something to eat. It was just crazy. And one time I said to Daz, oh Daz, how does anyone even listen to me? Look at our kids. And he said, Bron, do you want to be one of those mums? Oh, I love those mums. Those mums were my friends. But I went, no, actually, I don't. He said, well, you aren't them, so don't worry about trying to be them. And it was liberating and it was releasing. So who aren't you? Who aren't you? Not only who aren't you, what aren't you? What aren't you? You see, obviously, John wasn't the light of the world. He wasn't um, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. But what aren't you? It's liberating to realise what you aren't. I always thought I was super organised and Daz said to me only last year, you think you're organised, Bron, because you get heaps done and you think you're organised, Bron, because you compare yourself to me. <laughs> you aren't organised. And I was like, yes, you're right. And it was finally liberating. Once I would have taken it as a, you know, <laughs> as an insult to me. But it was like, I'm not organised. That's why stuff is so hard. Okay, right. Now, does that mean that I then don't have to ever take part in organisation again? No, I need to get better and I need to help my family and whatever I need to do. But to know that I'm not that organised person frees me to let the organisation be done by whoever needs to do it. If you're not the best person at work at such and such, then free the person who is best at work to do that. If you're not the best at school at this, then be okay with what you're not. There's something that you're great at. And, and, and it doesn't matter anyway. Know what you aren't as well. You know what else you aren't? You aren't your most recent stuff up. You aren't your biggest mistake. You aren't your latest hiccup. That's not what you are. That's not who you are. It's not who you are. So then we need to know who we are, obviously. Who are we? Who even are you? There's three things for this. In order to know who we are, we need to be humble in our heart, comfortable in our skin and confident in our call, humble in our heart. When John saw Jesus walking towards him, he said, here comes the saviour of the world. And he said, I can't even untie this man's sandals. And a, a, a student of a rabbi was to do almost anything that a slave could do for its master, except to untie the sandals because it was mank and gross and if you've ever seen my feet, you would understand. <laughs> but uh, walking across those dusty roads, it was like, no, no, that's too far, which makes Jesus washing their feet even more poignant. But John says, I can't, I'm not even worthy to do that disgusting job. I'm not even worthy to do that. I get 
who I'm not and I get who I am and I get who he is. And in order to know who we are, we need to be humble in our heart. We need to be humble in our heart. Is anyone a teenager when the song History Maker came out? Delirious, History Maker. About five people, excellent. Uh, History Maker, there was this song at youth camps and it was like a rocky, like, you know, let's get stirred up and go fight someone. Um, The devil preferably, not the person next to you at youth. Um, But History Maker, it was like, I'm going to be a history maker in this land. I'm going to be a speaker of truth to all mankind. And it was this pump-up song. We're like, yes, we're going to be history makers. Yes, we're going to change the world. And something happened where it felt like in order to do that, we had to do big things for God, big things for God. Now, I think that God wants to change our mindset around that because nowhere in his word does he say, you're going to do big things for me. But he says really, really regularly, you're going to do good things for me. Let me read these scriptures to you. Jeremiah 29, 11. For I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. They are plans for good and not for disaster to give you a future and a hope. Ephesians 2.10, for we are God's masterpiece. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus so that we can do the good things he planned for us long ago. 2 Corinthians 9.8, and God is able to bless you abundantly so that in all things at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. 2 Timothy 2.1, if you keep yourself pure, you'll be a special utensil for honourable use. Your life will be clean and you'll be ready for the master to use you for every good work. Matthew 5.16, in the same way, let your good deeds shine out for all to see so that everyone will praise your heavenly Father. And the Bible records that as Jesus walked the earth, he went about doing good, doing good. My friend puts it like this. I don't think that anyone would argue that what God has planned for each one of us is good. I just wonder if we were the ones who decided that for those things to be good, they had to be big things. And when you're in your 20s, you're like, yes, I'm going to do big things for God. When you're in your 30s, like, yes, there's still time for me to do big things for God. And when you're in your 40s and it's hard to get up off the floor after tying your shoelace, you wonder if you've got any big things left in you. And I won't even speak for 50s, 60s and 70s. And yet, 80s, 90s, and yet God has as many good things planned for us right along the spectrum, right along the spectrum. We need to be humble in our heart. I was at colour one year and... uh, and I looked down at the stage and I was looking at it and thinking, oh God, you know, where do I fit in all this? And I heard God say, you're, you're gonna, I've made you to be great, Bron. And I looked at the stage and I was like, in that split second, I know what you're saying. Hey, Bron, colour stage, coming up. And in, the, in that next instant he said, but not in the way that you think. And for the next 10 years, the way that he taught me was by sending me to a church that was an hour and 45 minutes away in a town of 2,500 people called Gyra and preached to five people there and love it and love those people and enjoy that and, and know that I was doing the will of God as I was doing it. That's how he taught me what great really was and what he thinks about great. So I want to encourage you, realign what you think of as good and big and great and be humble in your heart. Secondly, comfortable in your skin, comfortable in your skin. John's disciples, they come to Jesus at a point in John and say, hey, how come we have to fast? (laughs) Why? (laughs) Like, yeah, we all acknowledge that, right? (laughs) Why, Jesus? Why do we have to fast? But he's saying, saying, why don't your disciples fast? And Jesus says, well, I'm still with them, right? The bridegroom's still right here. But when the bridegroom leaves, that's when they'll fast. 
And, uh, and I just want to encourage you as it relates to being comfortable in your skin, just kick comparison to the curb. We covered it a little bit with know who you aren't, but just kick it to the curb. Don't go there. It's not worth it. Whoever you feel compelled to compare to, just kick it to the curb. The Bible says comparison is not wise. And so every time you start comparing, just tell yourself, well, that's not wise. And keep comparison to the curb so that you can get comfortable in your skin. Secondly, let go of your main character mindset. Your main character mindset. Um, main character mindset is a thing that I learned about recently as I was talking to my daughter. I said, Katie, how are you going at school? She said, ah, I'm okay, except my friends are annoying me. <laughs> I said, okay, uh, what's going on? She said, they've all got a main character mindset. I said, what's a main character mindset? She said, you know, like, it's like, achoo. Oh my gosh, did you hear me sneeze? I'm so cute. <laughs> and everyone has this, that I'm the main character in the movie. And, and she said, and I feel like I'm the main character in the movie, so I get it, but it's exhausting when everyone in the room feels like they're the main character in the movie. And so let's kick the main character, the mindset, and get rid of that as well. Because John said, he said, my, um, I'm, I'm happy to be the guy who stands with the bridegroom. There's the main character right there. And I'm rejoicing at his success. I'm happy. And nothing will help us kick comparison to the curb, like letting go of our main character mindset and rejoicing at the success of others and saying, yes, go you. I'm so happy for you. And then the pressure of perception, what we think people think of us, just let it go. Let it go completely. Don't worry about it anymore. Comfortable in your skin and then confident in your call. Confident in your call, finally. And ask the team to come up. Confident in your call. The Bible says in that same passage in John chapter 1, it says that, that he came to his own, but his own did not receive him. They rejected him. But to as many as received him and believed in his name, to them he gave the right to be called the children of God. And today, if you've believed in him and accepted him, two steps, if you've accepted him as well as believed him, then you are able to be called a child of God and that is your calling you know, we love to have a label, don't we? We love to have a label around what we're called and who we are because then I know what I'm supposed to be doing. But God calls us son and God calls us daughter. And we can walk confident in our call if we're willing to walk like that. When John was asked, who are you? Are you Elijah? He said, no. And yet, the angel Gabriel had told his dad he will have the spirit of the prophet Elijah. And yet later, when he died or was in prison, I can't remember which one, they came to Jesus and said, who was John the Baptist? And he said, well, he was the Elijah that was promised to come. But John the Baptist didn't care about that. He was just, I'm just going to get about doing what the Father has called me to do. And he's told me I need to baptize. And he's told me I need to prepare the way for the one who is coming. So I'll just keep doing what I know to do and not worry about a title at all. And church, if I can encourage you, you don't need a title to just get about doing what God wants you to do. You don't need to do the test to discover your purpose, to know what you're meant to be doing on the earth. You're just meant to be the son or the daughter that God has called you to be. And you're just meant to get about doing what He's asking you to do. I want to encourage you that that is fearlessness. To not have to subscribe to a label or a title or know who's who in the zoo and know where you fit, but just to know I'm a son of God or I'm a daughter of God. And I'm just going to go every day and look for who's in front of me and do what God has asked me to do today. Can you get on board with that? Yeah, let's give him a hand, give him some glory.